Hey there, creatures. It is a rainy new moon in Oregon. The waters are high. Yeah, rain is unrelenting today. <laughs> the sky is slate gray. And across the river, just across the river, the tops of trees are peeking out above the water where it's risen so high, but they're all red and orange. It's pretty. I'm really excited about today's talk. I've been thinking about it all month. I've been wrestling around this one like a storm because it's a weird topic to approach. But okay, I'm gonna give you guys a crash course today in internal family systems therapy. That's the big picture. It is a new like therapeutic framework that I find so fascinating. I'm actually contemplating going back to grad school. It's a framework that I think really illuminates um, the multiplicative and fractal nature of consciousness. And so I'm excited to get into this with you guys. Okay, but before we go shine a light around the unseen parts of our dome, let's take a few deep breaths. Activate the vagus nerve in your belly. Slow your heart rate down by making sure your exhales are longer than your inhales. Hold a rock, have a cup of tea, have something with you that's sensory revel in the slushing of mud and imagine yourself on the hill okay let's summon the meeting place imagine the door to the place on the other side of which you will be safe safe from harm from any part of you as well as harm from yourself see the door take a second before you go through it we always pause before we go through the gateway to just kind of look back, look back at the day. It doesn't have to be your whole timeline, but just look back and see the things that are with you right now. Take a second to just observe them. And then bless them. And then release them. <laughs> and slide your way into the meeting place. Now, the way that we're going to inflate this meeting place is with radical acceptance, right? We are raising the temple of radical acceptance every time we come here. So here's the thing I need you to radically accept. I'm going to tell you a thing. And it's just the way it is. Here we go. Okay. It is perfectly natural to have mechanisms to avoid awareness of our shadow in our mind, as well as mechanisms that extinguish the nervous system activations of our shadow's stored experiences. You know? We all have a shadow. It holds things that we can't see. And in that, it's not alone. It's not the only thing. You also have mechanisms that keep you from looking. And should something happen, should you have something be triggered, you have mechanisms that want to shut that thing down. That's what we need to accept. That makes sense. Okay, all right. Let yourself just kind of hang out here in the meeting place while I give you your crash course in internal family systems therapy. Remember that this place is safe. If you need, take a second, pause this. Ask yourself, looking around, how do you know this place is safe? Allow your intuition to answer that question. Okay. So Dr. Richard uh, Schwartz. Schwartz? Yes. Dr. Richard Schwartz 
um, was a family therapist, and he developed IFS, uh, internal, internal Family Systems Therapy, uh, over 40 years. Over that time, he says that he learned the deep connections between how people relate to each other externally uh, and how they relate to themselves internally. We'll talk about the external version of this therapeutic model uh, at the end of the talk, um, but uh, I'll use his words from his book, No Bad Parts, to give you an introduction. Schwartz says, we are all multiple. We were all raised in what I'll call the monomind belief system. The idea that you have one mind out of which different thoughts and emotions and impulses and urges emanate. Because the monomind view is so ubiquitous and assumed in our culture, we never really question the, the truth of it. So IFS operates on a paradigm of multiplicity. Okay, he says, all of us are born with many sub-minds that are constantly interacting inside of us. This is in general what we call thinking because the parts are talking to each other and to you constantly about things you have to do or debating the best course of action and so on. So this is something, this is side, we understand this intuitively when we're faced with, let's say, an invitation um, or a choice, you know, it's like, you're like, oh, okay, you know, a part of me wants to, but a part of me also doesn't. That's valid uh, in what he's talking about here, that these are sub-minds. Okay, Schwartz continues. IFS helps you not only start to pay attention to the inner players behind the debate, but also become the active internal leader that your system of parts need. The monomind paradigm has caused us to fear our parts and view them as pathological. In our attempts to control what we consider to be disturbing thoughts and emotions, we just end up fighting, ignoring, disciplining, hiding, or feeling ashamed of those impulses that keep us from doing what we want to do with our lives. Then we shame ourselves for not being able to control them. Children operate in parts. Um, if you spend time with children, they're absolutely composed of parts. Um, it's one of the ways that they're able to change their emotional states very quickly um, is because around seven to nine years old, most children's psyche undergoes a process of integration um, in which all the parts basically get like, um, oh, there's like a, a hub system. Oh, like the sections of an orange. Like imagine an orange forming sections first, skin last. You know, and that's what we call around seven to nine, that integration process is what we call the, the formation of their personality. You know, and that's when like kids really start to be like them, you know, <laughs> in like a really intense way. Um, that's what we're seeing here. Okay, that's what we see with children. Now, uh, those parts aren't gone after integration. They don't like boil together into some soup. Um, they're present uh, and new parts can emerge, but they do so under the umbrella of an integrated personality. We'll update some of our shadow working language to connect to the terminology of internal family systems. Individuals have parts. There are three primary types of parts. Um, one category is called exiles. And then there are two types of what's called protectors. You, you can have multiple of each. So it's not just like you have an exile and then you have one of each of these protectors. Um, you can have however many <laughs> your brain develops. Um, so you know, if you're here um, 
uh, in the meeting place, make room. <laughs> make room for more than just you and one other being, you know, just the shadow. Um, make sure there's space here. When we talk about all of an individual's parts, we'll refer to the, that as their system or a system of parts. Okay, so in order to hide or suppress our shadows, other neural networks are necessary. Uh, in the same way that the mind can personify our pain as the shadow or as exiles, as Schwartz calls them, we can also personify the systems that avoid the activation of the shadow or that quells the energy after activation. These are the ones that we call protectors. So let's talk about exiles because we're really at the heart of it. Exiles are most often young parts hey, um, that have experienced trauma and often become isolated from the rest of the system in an effort to protect the individual uh, from feeling the pain, terror, fear that these parts are burdened with. So when an individual experiences a trauma that they cannot process, usually because they were very young and their nervous system wasn't fully developed or well supported, a part takes that pain on as a burden. Um, it completely reconfigures the part in service of holding this burden. Um, and the burden um, is the actual painful emotions or negative beliefs that one carries. We say that a part becomes uh, transformed into an extreme role in the system. That extreme role we call an exile. But the burdens themselves are not intrinsic to the part and therefore they can be released. The part can be unburdened, Schwartz says, through the methods of internal family systems therapy, allowing that part to return to the system in its natural healthy role. Uh, so it's not like these are things that, you know, bad guys to defeat or things to blink out um, of your system. They're going to be with you. Um, you can be, you can have parts and hold no trauma. So there can be a configuration in which all these parts can, can come back home. And that's what shadow work is all about. Shadow work is about taking wounded, abandoned, burdened parts of ourselves and liberating them. Every time we do, we become a more powerful version of ourselves than we were before. Every time. Every time we're better. Okay, but like, we can't just dive straight at the exiles <laughs> and just wrench their burdens away from them. Um, there is no working with exiles until you have obtained the permission of their protectors. So let's talk about the protectors today. Okay, there are two types. And their roles come into play either before or after uh, the activation of an exile's burden. Uh, the triggering of the neural network that holds the imprint of timeless pain, right? This is experiential and physiological. Um, the first is called managers, and they kind of run day-to-day -day life. Um, they are always looking to avoid activation in the system. They are, a lot of times, really positively socially reinforced uh, even though their behaviors can be absolutely harmful and pathological. Um, so 
Okay. Let's talk about how they kind of come into being um, and, and how they can be so pervasive. So let's say you hypothetical painful experience uh, of bullying and social rejection when you were a kid. Let's say you hold that in your shadow. So any number of sensory elements from those painful childhood experiences, um, which remind you were incorrectly stored by the thalamus as just sensory fragments instead of as a cohesive narrative, um, could threaten to activate that painful and unprocessed memory. Okay, well, so we want to avoid the activation of the memory. To do so, we may unconsciously, completely, you, you won't be aware of all the things that your manager does. You may avoid places where children play. You may develop a dislike of them in general. Their laughter or like that child joy scream might just send a chill, a chill up your spine. Or you could adopt like a real toughen up attitude uh, when other people express their own sad feelings around social rejection. In other words, you will restructure your attitudes, beliefs, and perceptions to avoid anything that might trigger this memory. But you can't avoid triggers uh, forever. <laughs> like, that's literally impossible. So this tactic just chases an unreachable horizon. An impossible life where one never encounters the things that might reawaken those overwhelming feelings. When a traumatized person avoids their triggers for a long time, they will find their lives moving in smaller and smaller circles of people, places, and experiences that seem safe. This constriction of their lives can cause incredible stress because it is a consequence of incredible stress. It is in the constant running away that they create temporary support for the belief that the timeless moment of their pain is behind them rather than fully alive within their nervous system desperate to be correctly processed by the thalamus. When we can be aware of our own activations and choose grounding techniques, like distracting yourself for two minutes or engaging with our breath, we keep our managers from having to operate from the shadows, from the unseen and reactive place in our mind, and help to create healthier connections within us. Um, <laughs> Hey guys, you know I have a zine for all these, right? <laughs> Go look in the description if you haven't already. I'm sure I've got a link to a PDF set there for you. There are a lot of different things a manager can do. Um, so I'm looking at this one right now. Tell me if these sound familiar. You know, just maybe like a little check in your mind. Uh, do you find yourself <laughs> overthinking, people-pleasing, overworking, self-sacrificing, falling into pessimism, striving relentlessly towards whatever? Are you extremely self-critical? Do you exercise a lot of caution about things, always very cautious? Uh, do you give a lot of advice to other people? Do you plan? Uh, and I'm not just talking about like a little bit, you know, we all have to plan, but you guys, you know what I mean. You know the kind of extreme behaviors I'm talking about here moralizing, intellectualizing, conflict avoidance, controlling, approval seeking. These are um, behaviors that are indicative of the presence, the actions of a manager. Okay, 
take a second, think about. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm an over-intellectualizer. I work really hard. <laughs> I know my managers. Take a second, think about how do you manage yourself? Okay. That can be a little difficult to look in and see. Let's take a few breaths. Make sure you're grounded right now. And let's talk about the other, the other protector. Firefighters, they're called. Firefighters come alive after these improperly processed memories are reactivated. Now the focus becomes suppression. Our nervous system is on fire and we have to find the fastest way to put it out. This can take so many forms, uh, but I want to note that this isn't the same as soothing the system. This is energy suppression at its, that is fundamentally reactive and unconscious. This is when we battle ourselves. So however we were taught to react to big emotions by our guardians, uh, community, or culture, those are the things that come into play. We may project these feelings onto another and shame or exile them. We may turn to substances to numb our bodies and minds. We may binge eat or binge watch or scroll or use some other dissociative aid. Risky behaviors also allow us to channel this energy, uh, the energy that has been kicked up by the activation, creating a dopamine-driven illusion of control inside of an uncontrolled experience. Now, firefighters tend to be less socially acceptable. <laughs> they don't get as much positive feedback from society. Um, this is... Firefighters are reactive in nature. And they offer a quick fix to our problems. They make us drop into our body while managers keep us more in our head. Firefighters can be pleasant, you know. <laughs> It can be a real good time. <laughs> but when they're dysfunctional, they can lead to behaviors that quickly become out of control. This has been a new angle that IFS has given to addiction counselors that is showing remarkable results. In identifying the underlying pains that cause an individual to engage in extreme behaviors of self-harm, uh, such as hard drugs or physical self-harm like cutting, uh, counselors are reshaping the narrative away from addicts just being like bad or weak people and recognizing that these, uh, that these behaviors are an extreme and unconscious form of pain management. Okay, so some of the things in the little pocket scene. How do we know our firefighters? Do you? Do you experience flashes of anger? <laughs> lying uncontrollably, you know, just little lies even, but just lying sarcasm, uh, sleeping a lot, dieting or restricting your eating or overeating, procrastination, uh, compulsively playing computer games, binging on drugs, alcohol, 
getting into fights, yelling, uh, over shopping, gambling, you uh, stealing stuff, you thinking of ending it? That's a firefighter at work. It's just trying to end the pain when they come up. There's no shame in that. It's just the alarm system going off. Your body's just trying to find a way to turn it off, to just stop the pain. You're not doing anything wrong in any part of this. Managers, the firefighters, the exiles, nobody's doing anything wrong in any part of this. Every part of the system seeks to protect the system. They don't always have the best tools. Sometimes the way they help hurts. And we can change that. These aren't locked in relationships. These parts can be unburdened. This responsibility of protection that the managers and firefighters have taken on are an extreme role as well, just the same as the exile. Protectors usually can't let go of their protective roles and transform until the exiles they are protecting have been unburdened. When managers and firefighters are freed from this responsibility of protection, they become some of our greatest resources, capable of helping life run smoothly, soothing upset feelings, acting in accordance with our values, sources of creativity and playfulness, and so much more. We have to earn their trust before we can get close enough to the exiles to help. And they have relationships between each other. You know, these aren't like little, little atomic bits floating around, disconnected from one another. No, 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 no. they engage all the time. Um, Schwartz has identified three kinds of relationships, he says, that exist between parts um, and define the dynamics inside of the system. Um, one of the things uh, that uh, defines a relationship is protection. Managers and firefighters offer protection. They intend to spare exiles from harm and to protect the individual from the exile's pain. Polarization is another relationship that can occur uh, and it occurs between two parts that battle each other to determine how a person feels or behaves in a certain situation. Each part believes that it must act as it does in order to counter the extreme behavior of the other part, just further polarizing both of them from each other. IFS has methods for working with polarized parts. But parts don't always have a negative relationship. Alliance is another way that parts connect. Um, they can come together to work towards a common goal as well, um, even when they don't necessarily maybe all agree on each detail. A common goal can unite them. Remember that even in a system that has no exiles, where all burdens have been released, the individual will still have parts and those parts will still be engaging with each other. So these relationships, even polarization, even taking two sides of a divide, are not necessarily pathological by themselves. Protection, right? Protection as a relationship isn't necessarily pathological, but it can be. Even alliances can go blind sometimes. So it's not clear cut. This isn't a space of black and white thinking. And it's also not the whole story. 
Because if you're just thinking that there's managers and firefighters and exiles and that's what's happening in my brain and they're all tangled together in these different kinds of relationships and everybody's storing pain and hiding pain and, and numbing the pain, it can feel pretty chaotic. <laughs> it can feel pretty chaotic. <laughs> but that's not all there is to the story. Because there's more to you than your parts. You are not merely your parts. These parts are not who you are. The capital S self is what Schwartz calls it. And it represents the seat of consciousness and what each person is at the core. The self demonstrates many positive qualities such as acceptance, confidence, calmness, wisdom, compassion, connectedness, leadership, and perspective. Unlike other parts, when we're inside of our mind's eye, we don't see the self. The self is the natural leader of the system. However, because of past harmful incidences or relationships, uh, protectors have stepped in and taken over for the self, um, usually because one was very young. One protector after another is activated and takes the lead, causing dysfunctional behavior. Protectors are also frequently in conflict with each other, resulting in internal chaos or stagnation. The aim is for the protectors to trust the self and allow it to lead the system, creating internal harmony under its guidance. The self is an agent of psychological healing. When what's called self-energy, that's what Schwartz calls, you build self-energy by accessing the self. It's like charging up a battery, right? Um, that you can generate this power, this self-energy. When it hits a kind of critical mass, healing, internal healing, happens quickly and spontaneously. Self-energy is generated by the self interacting with their parts, taking on their compassionate leadership role and building strong relationships with these parts. The parts can come to trust the self, which allows more exiles to be unburdened, which frees up more resources for the system, which accelerates the course of healing. This is a space of positive feedback loops within us, and the experience of it is incredible. One of my favorite things I've read about the self was that the self does not need to develop and the self cannot be damaged. When I read that, I don't know, it just gave me hope. Okay, so how do we connect the self to our parts? Well, so, I don't know, there's a lot of ways. <laughs> and, and I can't, I don't think, okay, in good consciousness, guys, I'm not, you, I'm not a licensed therapist. <laughs> yeah. Have I said that yet? Yeah, I'm unlicensed. Um, and so there's a little bit of stickiness here because uh, I do want to give guidance. Um, I do want to talk you guys kind of through the process of a meditation um, that uh, there's these six Fs that they use as sort of a scaffolding for engaging with parts. That being said, um, some of the later parts of the meditation, if you're not in a good place, 
it really isn't advisable that you push forward. Um, even if you're feeling excited or motivated, um, there are some places where it's better to exercise a little caution and patience. If you have a therapist, talking to them about internal family systems therapy for sure. Um, but So I do want to talk through this one guided meditation, but there are a lot of different ways uh, in IFS to generate this self-energy. What's up, rain? Okay. All right. I gave my caveat. <laughs> okay, we'll follow this one. Um, I think I'll find a link to uh, guided meditation. I, I, there's videos of Dr. Schwartz giving guided meditations in his method. And so, yeah, I'd really recommend that. But I just kind of want to explore this to maybe give you guys, we'll call this, I'm going to give you my cliff notes uh, for the meditation to just kind of like give you a framework and get you start thinking about it. Okay, that's what we're going to call it. Um, and then we're going to talk about how this system externalizes. You know, while we're doing this, if you're in the meeting place, allow your intuition to show you what it needs to show you. Practice your grounding techniques if you start to feel even the littlest bit of anxiety. You know, we don't have to wait for the whole thing to blow to start doing things to wind it back down. Okay. Okay, so IFS operates on the, um, uh, the facts of our nervous system, which is that 80% of the information goes from the body to the brain, and along the nervous system, only 20% goes from the brain down to the body. If we want to intervene in the system of the brain, you know, you can't solve a thinking problem with thinking. Um, and so we go through the body. So the first F in the six Fs is find. Like, notice, like, let yourself uh, turn your attention inward. What do you notice? Physical sensations? Um, uh, are there specific parts of your body uh, that you're feeling more than others? Uh, these could be um, anything that you might perceive in your body uh, or around you that doesn't fully feel like you. Um, or is there like an emotion or a thought that you kind of keep cycling around? Schwartz calls these trailheads. And so it's just like a place to start. You know, it could be like a little thing. Um, I was doing one the other day and I had kind of a strange cramp in my side for no reason. And so I just allowed myself to notice that. Um, the next F is to focus, to just really like bring your attention as fully as you can to like whatever it is that you're noticing, be it an emotion, a thought, a body sensation. Um, questions that are to be explored are like, <laughs> can you allow whatever is emerging to be there? Um, spend some time recognizing that there is a part of you that wants your attention right now. And just focus on whatever is making itself known to you for a little while. Okay, so that's the focus part. When we can do that, then we start to flesh things out. Um, seeing if that part will show a clear image of itself. You know, if we can see them in the meeting place, in the mind's eye. Um, can they generate a precise set of body sensations located in a specific uh, section of the body? Or can the part provide memories? Or even start communicating? Uh, giving messages, sometimes through imaginings, sometimes through a collage of memories, um, but there can be communication that happens here. And here's the crux one. Okay, so like you spend some time with the part, you let yourself flesh everything out, and then you ask yourself 
How do you feel towards this part? So the qualities that the self is known for, they've got the eight C's. The Schwartz guy is really into some number of some letter. But so here they are. If, you, if the feeling that you're having towards your part is not one of these guys, then you're not looking at it from the place of the self. There's another part coming in. So the, okay, the qualities of self energy, here we go. Calmness, clarity, compassion, curiosity, confidence, courage, creativity, connectedness. Okay, so like, let's say that you see a part and maybe you get pissed about it. You know, maybe, okay, we'll take that bullying example, that childhood bullying example. Maybe you're like, what a weak little snot. It's like, whoa, okay, hey, that is not the self speaking. That's another part responding to the presence, to you noticing this part that's carrying some sort of pain that wants to communicate with you. And that's okay. It's okay that someone's chiming in. Inside of the meditation, this would be a place where we would turn to that part who's feeling angry or annoyed and ask it, you know, like, okay, cool. Yeah, I, I hear how you're feeling. Would you be okay to like maybe take a step back so I can just get to know this part a little bit? And here's the thing is, and this is why I'm saying I'm not a licensed therapist, because that part might say, no, no, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, that part may steadfastly refuse to go anywhere. And the, the guidance at this point would be, okay, that initial part that was reaching out to us noted, and we're going to cycle back around, but we can't, we're, we've engaged with a protector. And so there's an exile that's being protected by someone who holds anger towards it. That's, that's a suppression mechanism. That's to avoid it, you know, it's pushing us away. That angry part now is the one that we need to turn to and start the process over again. So we would engage with them. We'd try to see if we have any body sensations. You know, we would focus on that. We would see what comes up. We would take that journey together. And so you do this work and it's slow work. You know, like that's why I don't want to rush you through this. But it, when we can get past that hump, when we can address those protectors and start to earn their trust and listen to them, validate their experiences, come to them from the place of the self, continuing to give them that self energy, then the healing will start to roll out. Beyond that point, then we can actually start to befriend our parts. Once we earn the trust of their protectors, once we can get past the gates, There's a kind of connection that can happen where we can befriend these exiles, really get to know them, learn how they got their job, how they ended up in this extreme role. And eventually we can talk to them about what they fear. You know, a question I use often is what would be the consequences of you relieving yourself of this burden of protection? What are you afraid would happen if you stopped doing your job? And then another one I really like to ask when we can get to that place is, if you weren't burdened with this responsibility of protection, what would you be doing? <laughs> you get the most surprising answers. 
<laughs> chase them, always chase those. So there's a place where we can transcend this triangle of bickering and fighting that exists inside of us between the exiles and the managers and the firefighters and all of the complex relational dynamics that govern your internal pain management system. Um, we can transcend that through the self. And, and it just, it takes work. It takes patience and practice. And luckily, <laughs> we get to practice externally as well as internally because these dynamics don't just operate inside of us. Consciousness is fractal. Um, so as, as within, so without. As without, so within. Um, <laughs> for those of you who do have the zine, or click on the link for the PDF, uh, inside the zine, I have a handout um, called the Drama Triangle. So if you like unfold it all the way. Oh my gosh, I have to take some shelter from the rain. Okay. All right, I'm going to talk to you guys about the drama triangle. So this was something that um, <laughs> came into our household. I don't know whose therapist gave it to who. Um, and it got taped to the wall. And I think that was a turning point in a lot of ways. But so there's this triangle between <laughs> a persecutor, a rescuer, and a victim. It's completely analogous to the relationship between the manager, the firefighter, and the exile. But this is something that's looking at external family dynamics. And so here's the idea, is that these three roles, the persecutor, who's the bully, who's just like, this is all your fault, you're not okay, so I'm going to tell you what to do, um, is this kind of hypercritical, uh, rigid, bossy, dominating role. In another corner is the rescuer, who's like, you need my help. You're not okay, but I'm nice, and I'll fix you. This is pathological, too. This is part of the drama triangle. That's not a good behavior. Um, rescuing creates this feeling that they're better than uh, the other, or at least more capable. Um, they, and they often expect those rescue missions to fail. Like, so there's that rescuer position in the triangle. And at the bottom is the victim, um, who's just like, I'm not okay, and everybody else is. They feel hopeless, ashamed, incapable, misunderstood. Um, they refuse to make decisions or solve problems or get help. And so when two people are in an argument, what we do is we basically move around this triangle. You don't get locked into one position. Like we can hop from persecutor to rescuer to victim and back again. Um, so we can move around this system really quickly um, between two people out here in the world just as, just as much as we can inside of our own heads. So this handout got taped to the wall, and you know, when we get into it, <laughs> it's humbling to have a person go to the wall and read stuff off of a handout um, to, you know, when you're caught in the drama, it's hard. It's hard to hear, it's humbling, it's good, it's good practice. And it's good practice to work externally and then internalize into the system, into the way the parts interact with each other. We model that. So this little handout gives some examples about what's better language to use. So for the persecutor, um, they need to move to step out of that role in the triangle. And I think this is like taking a step into the self, um, saying things like, I'm willing to listen to your story for 10 minutes. By, so they're setting clear boundaries. Or, or maybe they can make their expectations clear. It's like, I want you to keep to your agreement. Please have whatever this is done by Tuesday, you know? Um, for the rescuer, they can, again, step out of the drama position and come into self-energy by um, uh, 
saying things like, I, I care about you and I know you are capable, you know, giving clear support um, by doing nothing that the victim can do uh, for him or herself, saying like, I know you can do this, um, I'm willing to listen to your problem without making it mine to solve. Like this, this is good language that when you get caught in a rescuer position to just like help lift yourself out of those negative habits. Uh, and for the victim, um, taking adult responsibility. They need to move to problem solving, um, deciding what they really want and taking action. Um, asking yourself, how can I get what I want in a healthy way? Um, remembering that you make you, minimizing self-pity and taking action. I'm just sort of reading off of this for you guys um, who don't have it in front of you. But so there's this idea, even when we're looking at um, stuff for external relationships management, it's the exact same structure as what's happening internally. These roles, we fill them within us and without us. We hold our communities inside of us. And so a lot of the patterns and structures that we end up working with between these models, the ways that we handle these conflicts, the way we manage our pain, the way our parts engage with each other, the way that we fight with our loved ones, a lot of this comes to us from our guardians, our communities, our culture. But it's all malleable. That's the thing that we're learning is, okay, yeah, they, it, it can get kind of tangled and maybe, maybe consciousness is weirder than we thought. Um, but all of these patterns, we can restructure, we can change, we can make new patterns between them, we can free ourselves of the burdens that we hold, we can properly process the overwhelming experiences that we have survived. And these systems inside of us can become connected and resilient. They can be living, thriving things within us. It feels illuminating. So <laughs> internal family systems therapy, <laughs> Dr. Richard Schwartz, shadow worker. I'm going to post a few more links underneath this if you want to dive a little bit deeper. IFS is a practice that there are a lot of people who are trying to engage with it on their own. Um, and you know, I think that that's doable. I think that there's something to self-therapy. I don't think that we always, I don't think that we always need to go to a therapist and we always don't have the option. Anything that we can do on ourselves, uh, anything that we can do for ourselves is great. So this lunar month, <laughs> from now until the next new moon, I hope you'll join me in considering my managers and my firefighters. I mean, this is work I do, I've been doing for a time. Um, I'm gonna give it new eyes myself. I remember at first it felt really weird, like taking, it gave my imagination a kind of seriousness um, I was a little freaky, I'm not going to lie, I was a little freaky, having this place of my, my inner mind be a, a space I could be communicated with from. <laughs> but that's what it is to 
be in self. That's what it is to be connected to these parts. Is to look within and to give that kind of love that can connect even the most disconnected pieces. That happens slowly. It can take a long time until all of a sudden it's just like falling through a doorway. Until next new moon. Blessings to the pain bearer. <laughs>